Hello and welcome to the Canadian Wargamer Podcast. Yes, it's the Canadian Wargamer podcast featuring two affable and youngish granddads, Mike and James, talking about primarily miniature wargames and the occasional hex and counter excursion from Mike from our unique perspective in the Great White North. And as the strains of La Foy d'Arabla die away, here are your hosts, Mike and James. James, how are you now? Oh, we're all right, I guess. As I sniff. <laughs> oh my god he's got covid can I, can I catch covid over zoom i don't know maybe we, maybe we should ask i should check the zoom settings for covid yeah. when did uh, when did you come down with this buddy oh it's been off and on and that's why i don't think it's covid well i don't know yeah co-worker who doesn't cover his mouth when he coughs it's like thanks buddy thanks keep out of my space oh like you're invading my space god why do i work with you but you know you probably don't have a choice yeah so you know christmas was quiet around the manto house um i spent four days in my pajamas <laughs> four days in your pajamas wow it was great trying to disguise my envy also who am i kidding james i wore sweatpants and uh or as my uh, as our grandson ollie calls them cozy pants for a good chunk of the the holidays so yeah, I mean, it's the holidays, and you couldn't go anywhere and do anything, which was great, because I hate driving at Christmas. And yeah, there was a day I was symptomatic, so you know what, like, we just shut everything down, and, you know, we, we it was like, oh, we, you know, we should go to the grocery store, and Elizabeth just said, nope, nope, it's not been, you haven't been symptom-free long enough yet, so I was like, cool. Yeah. I painted stuff, I, I played a game on New Year's Day. Yeah, you got your Bavarians into action again. Sharp practice. That's game. right. That's right. We got the new MDF wagons. Had to be escorted. And they uh, gave the Prussians a good thrashing. Yeah. It was pretty exciting stuff. Excellent. Prussians always need a good thrashing. What about uh, Hans and Franz, the, your intrepid uh, sharp? Uh, they, they have lived to scrounge for food again. I, I, I pushed the Schutzen off in some woods to, to, you know, shoot at the Prussians advancing. And then all the action happened with the, with, with the Bavarian cavalry. So I had to make up a new character, you know, left, was Lieutenant Lieutenant Vogel leading his troop of Chevaux Leger and, and a glorious charge down the, down the lane. It was pretty, pretty yeah. stirring stuff. That was a great read and uh, a great social media uh, thing to entertain myself with. Um, sadly, we did not get together for Operation Thundering Dice, and as a result, no. I'm, I'm holding up to the camera Smoochie the Dragon. Oh, Smoochie! So let's see, is this, is this the one that says something? Yes, that is the mighty roar of Smoochie. Yes, and Smoochie is going to stay here until you and I can get together again and fight our next epic Lord of the Rings battle. Yeah. Because, yeah, I... I 
I was all set on on January 3rd, Professor Tolkien's birthday. Mm-hmm. I was going to set up a, a game to uh, properly properly baptize my Knucklebones 3D printed orcs, some elf cavalry I painted like over a year ago and haven't been on the table yet. Well, the ones on the mass side of your blog, right? Rabbits? And yes. Things. Yeah. And I was going to paint them up or get them out and, and crack open my port and have a game in celebration of the professor's birthday. And then Scott showed up and we talked for like three hours. Then I had to go to the grocery store. And then by that, it's like, okay, the, the, the mood is gone. Was that oh, when well. Scott gave you that box of Russian troops to paint? Well, yes. Yes. Large. It was supposed to be a book. He said, I'm going to stop, you know, when I, when I'm done the dentist, I'm going to stop by and give you a book. I was like, oh, cool. You know, because he liked this book so much, he bought it twice. And then he's got a box in his hands. It's like, that ain't a book, man. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's this large Russian army that I'm still sorting out. I'm going to be painting Russians for a long, long time. The tiny little sharp practice project has suffered a lot of mission creep. I mean, it already did, but we're way beyond that now. Well, really, that's the definition of the Napoleonic Wars, isn't it? Well, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm this bunch, I'm not even going to bother trying to base anything for sharp practice. It's like, nope, nope. It's all just for General Darmy. Boom. Yeah. I have enough troops I can use for, for sharp practice. Um, I don't, I don't have to with separate big men or anything. So it's just going to be nice and nice and simple. Well, yeah, you know, forward with base and, uh, you know. 12, 12 battalions of Russian infantry and six guns later. Simple. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Want to help me paint Russians? Well, uh, I might, I might, I might paint, uh, I may paint their opposite numbers in six millimeter for you. So we can, we can do different scales because that's, we can do the, we can do the close and far away thing. The close and far away thing. That's right. Yeah. Right. From father Ted. Yeah. I could keep, uh, uh, you know, my uh, 6 million were French uh, on the back of the table and they could maybe be Grishy. Are they French? Are they Russian? Are they Prussian? That's right. Only six millimeter. Well, do you remember when war games illustrated used to do that in their for a bit on their covers? Yes. It was so tacky. Cheap perspective tricks. Yeah. Yes, it was just so. It, it was so obvious. It was like, dude, don't don't do this. Just, yeah, just. It, it was the eighties or nineties or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah, and he was trying something different. You know, it was a new editor. Oh well. Yeah, so I'm I'm thinking next year is going to be the two hundred and tenth anniversary of Leipzig. So come on, Napoleonics gamers, Leipzig twenty twenty three. It's got to be a thing. I think it will be a thing. I think we just made it a thing. We need to go on social media tomorrow and do a hashtag, uh, Leipzig1813. And the, it, as I understand it, and I don't know that battle as well as you do, but I think basically you can paint up any damn thing and it shows up at the battle, right, basically? Uh, well, not quite. No? Not quite. I mean, um, it's, it's Austrians, Russians, Prussians, and Swedes. The British rocket battery. Uh, yeah, British contingent that's so small they don't even show up in any war game scenarios. Yeah, but everybody will paint yeah, it's a rocket battery and a troop of cavalry. Big deal. Whatever. And then, yeah, and then you've got the Grand Army. Yeah. Minus the Bavarians, because they're on line of communications duties. Right. And had they changed sides by then? Yes, actually, they had. They changed sides just yeah, before the battle. Yes, except the, except the Bavarian troops who were detailed to guard the French wagon park 
actually honored their their commitment and everybody said well okay you know yeah you've your 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 country's changed sides but you're you know you didn't just run off and leave your former allies luggage to be looted by cossacks so you know good on you right we won't nobody held it against them yeah you can stay and loot them after the battle yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i was kind of gutted that uh, we didn't get together and uh, yeah, I'd been looking forward to okay. it, but um, I'll have to do that again. So, other than Scott's box and Napoleonics, did Santa leave anything uh, wargaming related under the tree? Let's see. I got the late. I got the last Expanse novel, Leviathan right. Falls, right? Which always gets me thinking about doing tiny spaceships. Mm-hmm. Let's see. A Louis, the Louise Penny collaboration with, um, with Hillary Clinton, and um, the latest. Uh, Middle Earth Lord of the Rings collection of essays, fragments, J.R. Tolkien's jottings on napkins and bar receipts. So, and a bottle of port. You can't beat that. So, nothing really, you know, nothing hugely wargaming related. I, Sounds great. You know, I kind of buy what I want through the years, so. And that book that Scott gave you, was that the, I think you showed that on Twitter. Was that the, the J.R. Elting book, Swords Around a Throne? Yes. Yeah, that's a great book. The serious Napoleonic historians on Twitter will turn their noses up at it, and they probably should, but it's just a damn fine read. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I gather he's, a, he's more of a populist historian. Very much so. And the, the cool thing about him was if you read the introduction because uh, he was an old man when he wrote that book. And he wrote that book, I think, in the 60s. Well, the publication date's 88. Yeah, I'm looking at, I've got my copy of it now. Anyway, he talks about how he remembers as a young soldier uh, in the U.S. Army, yeah, published 1988. He talks about going on exercise uh, in the Great Plains, like in Montana or Wyoming, uh, and trying to get horse-drawn artillery across the river uh, as part of the maneuvers. Hmm. And so somebody with that kind of military background, I think, was just perfect for understanding uh, a horse and musket army. So and he he totally is unashamed about uh, his love for uh, uh, the Grand Army. I mean, it just he's a total fan. He doesn't hide it. And if you can get over. So at least least you know where he's, you know, where he's coming from. He's not he's not trying to hide behind any pretense of objectivity. Whereas this year I read uh, this last year because it's the year we're in a new year now, aren't we? Mm-hmm. I read a book uh, about uh, letters of Napoleonic uh, Napoleon soldiers. It was um, an archive that was discovered in a Belgian city. So these guys were, I think it was Liège. Mm. They were all Liègeois and who'd mostly been conscripted. And for some reason, a lot of their letters survived because they were appeals to their parents for money or they were, um, you know, can you please. Uh, dear mama, can you please uh, verify that, um, you know, my brother Jean was wounded so they can discharge me to go home and look after you and the farm. And it didn't make soldiering in the Grand Army sound terribly glamorous. A lot of these guys were like, it really sucks. I'm cold. I have no shoes. The Spanish are mean. There's a shitload of Russians. Uh, I really hate this. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, you get, the, you get that in um, Houseman's letters, too you know, young officer writing back and forth to his parents and, you know, 
yes, the, 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 the cloth for my uniform arrived. Thank you. You know, could you do this? Send me that. That's true. And I imagine that's true of pretty much any war, you know. Uh, can you please go to Canix and buy me a, a Ranger blanket and put it in the mail? Because uh, one of my vehicle got blown up by an IED the other day. So, yeah. Also send baby wipes because I'm really dirty and shaved. I'm sure it's, nothing changes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, so. uh, my gift from Santa was uh, something that I've been talking my way up to on this podcast for some time as you remember every time we talk about 3d printing i say i almost want to have one so i did get one. Oh, did, you mad fool it did not behave well it uh, turned out to have a, a faulty lcd panel which is the panel that focuses the light which cures the resin into interesting shapes so i just got a basically a, a cake of soap a perfect replica of a cake of rectangular soap excellent yeah one to one so scale I a uh, one-to-one scale, yeah. What's the detailing like on that? Uh, well, it's dark and it's green and yeah. It's, <laughs> anyway, so sad, sadly, I had to write to uh, Elegoo in China and say, uh, your product sucks. And they're sending me not a replacement machine, but a replacement screen. Mm-hmm. I watched the YouTube video and I thought, well, how hard can this be? Opening up a machine, uh, taking the tape off the screens, installing the screen, putting it all back together figure i can probably do this all right but it's going to be a delay until i can uh, order we don't, need, we don't need to fly john in from bc do we <laughs> yeah, john my john sent me a text and said you got this old man you can do it so. <laughs> oh support from your progeny there you exactly. go thanks son anyway and my grandchildren are not quite old enough to be my tech support yet but i figure no. in a few years they will be so let's uh, get to our interview tonight. Our interview is Jason Weiser. Jason is uh, the first person in the history of the Canadian War Game uh, podcast who actually wrote to us and wanted to be on the podcast. Ooh, we're hitting the big times here. Well, absolutely. And he's coming off a, a round of interviews and in all the talk shows, all the podcasts. He was on uh, Ken Riley's uh, Yorkshire Gamer. He's, he's got a dizzying media. He's got a dizzying. Um... Uh, publicity tour going on he actually has a publicity guy the publicity guy mark has been emailing me and uh, arranging this so uh, yeah we should get a publicity guy so if you're listening and you'd like to be the publicity guy for the canadian wargamer podcast the pay is fabulous um yeah so uh, write to us anyway here's the interview with jason it's lovely to be together with you and with our guest tonight, Jason Weiser, who is doing all of the Posh podcasts. He's been uh, a guest of Ken Riley on the Archer Gamer, and now he's coming all the way to Canada to talk about uh, Military Miniature Magazine. Jason, Rocking welcome. up the air miles. Yeah, racking up the air miles. Jason, welcome to the Canadian Wargamer podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all I can say about racking up those air miles is it's, it's points, 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 guys. <laughs> That's right. Well, with the difficulty of, of getting uh getting flights now we can i'm glad this uh, interview wasn't canceled because we were sick with omicron so how are yeah, you and your, tell me how about are you, how are you and your family doing with all of that jason well um it's just me and the wife here and we've both been pretty lucky thank god um we're i'm vaccinated to the gills um my wife is going for her third shot soon mm-hmm. um you know I'm more concerned about my mom. She just had a, she just got out of chemotherapy and, you know, her immune system could be a little better. Let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah. That's rough. That's scary. Yeah. 
that is that is scary. Yeah, yeah. and I don't know, geez, uh, we're coming up on. I don't know how many waves you guys have had, but this is, I think, James. We're in. Our, we just started our fourth lockdown today. I think. Yeah. yeah. The lockdowns here are easing, and I think this is much. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get too much into politics, but you know, I think this is as much COVID fatigue as anything. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's up here too. We're all just tired for sure, but we're. And we're energized because we're 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 talking about war games tonight, which is all of our favorite uh, subjects. So that's right. Uh, yeah. So Jason, you are. Uh, I wouldn't say this is the only Canadian podcast uh, about war gaming. It's the only one that James and I know of. There have been others in the past, but we're the only people on the air. And, and you're going to be our guest on episode number ten. So um, we are building a, we're building a little bit of a tradition here, and we're just delighted to have you on board. And we were saying before. Uh, we started that we both heard, I think, well, I've heard your interview with um, with Ken Riley, and, but let's just take it from the top for those of you who haven't, uh, for those of our, our listeners who haven't heard about you, tell us about who you are and then talk as much as you want about your magazine. Well, um, let's start from the beginning, I guess. Uh, I got into wargaming at the tender age of eight in 1983. Um, my grandfather bought me for my, well, ninth birthday. Uh, at that point, um, a copy of Tactics 2, which he kind of regretted in later years. But, uh, you know, at the time, he thought it was a great birthday present uh, uh, 38 years later. <laughs> Did he actually play it with you? Uh, nah, he was his vision was pretty well shot. So I was stuck for doing a lot of solitaire gaming as a kid. Uh, I don't think I had regular opponents till junior high and, you know, but yeah. So, you know, as a kid, I played a lot of solitaire, but I played all the classics, you know, it was squad leader. It was panzer leader. It was, gosh, I even think I, I have a copy of bulge 81. I just repurchased, you know I mean? But, you know, all the old Avalon Hill classics, Mm-hmm. You know, mostly it was World War II stuff because, you know, that's what my grandfather used to tell stories of, of course. Mm-hmm. That was his war. And, well, then, you know, I started to branch out a little into the war that thankfully never was. And I discovered Game Designers Workshop, and that was my role-playing phase and, you know, that sort of thing. But miniatures I discovered in junior high school. Um, I discovered it through a friend. He's still, we're still friends 30 plus years later. And he and I, he was a lot of gaming with 20 millimeter stuff, World War II stuff, writing our own rules and then branching out the six millimeter moderns or what passed for moderns then. And, you know, everything in between. Uh, we used to play a lot. His dad was a war gamer too, so we used to play a lot of 15 millimeter Napoleonics. Uh, with a set of rules. I think it was Imperial Guard if, I, if you had to corner me and ask for a title. But yeah, so I've I've played a lot and I'm still as busy as I can be on the gaming side. But, you know, of course, the magazine's taking a large part of my life these days that isn't taken up by work, which, you know, as a federal contractor, they keep you busy. Yeah. The how I got started in the magazine is kind of funny. Um, was la- October of last year. It was height of the pandemic. An author friend of mine. Uh, who knew I was, you know, always lo- looking for a chance to, you know, branch out a little bit, 
recommended me to Samantha Reif of SJR Consulting. That's the parent company for miniature military miniature. And, you know, she asked me to do uh, blogs on wargaming topics. So, you know, we, I did that for a while. It was paid. It was a paid gig. I was, I was loving it. And the next thing I know, she asked me, well, how do we expand into the wargaming market? And the first words out of my mouth were, North America needs a wargaming magazine, a miniature wargaming magazine. You know, we haven't had one in, I don't know, I can't even remember when the Courier and M1 folded. I mean, I can't really say M1 folded because, well, Hal Hal retired. I mean, he just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, he sold it. Like, um, and a a lot of people blame Don for killing them, but they were dead anyway. He just, he just tried to keep them going and HMG limped along for a couple of years. God, I think that was like 20 years ago now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I don't really blame Don for that. You know, it's the, the magazine market's tough right now. I mean, yeah. especially now, you know, print costs are going up. Heck, there's a shortage on glossy paper, if you can believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, of all the things that I would ever think there would be a shortage on, I didn't think glossy paper would be one <laughs> of them, but apparently it is. So, you know, fast forwarding today, we got our first issue out in October. I want to say that, you know, some acclaim, uh, subscribers, I would say slow, but steady. And it seems every time I do one of these podcasts, we get, we get some more and I appreciate that. And I really want to reach out to the Canadians that your audience is focused on. Hey guys, we're here, please, you know, subscribe, write, let us know you're out there as you know, especially those smaller Canadian wargaming companies, which I know exist, uh-huh. you know, we'd love to hear from you. Cause you know, like I said, I mean, and I'm, I say this about the Brits. It's a two, it's a two-sided view of the British, you know, in the hobby one, they are sort of the Mecca that gave us HG. Wells, they gave us Don Featherstone. They gave us, you know, God only knows how many names in the miniature side of the hobby. But the problem is that sometimes they do take all the oxygen out of the room. And, you know, as I said to somebody else, I said, if we didn't like the rules they weren't putting out, we wouldn't be playing them. But the difference is, is we in America, we have, and I mean North America by this, we in America, we have to, you know, find our own more gaming way, I guess is the way I would put it. We have to find you know, these smaller developers who are coming out with rule sets, who are coming out with figure lines and this and that, because let's face it, shipping costs are going up. Everything's going up. I mean, what's going to be cheaper, buying it from home or buying it from abroad? I mean, last time I ordered figures from abroad, half the cost was shipping. Yeah. And as we all know, it's only getting worse. No, that's true. I, you know, honestly, uh, Jason, when I order, Led from England, uh, and I have placed some large orders with Foundry in the last year. I honestly don't even look at the shipping. I just go la 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 and hit the pay button. And I, I'm kind of fortunate that I'm at a stage in life where I can afford to do that. But still, I, I don't. I try not to think about it. Yeah, yeah. If it's what you want, then it's it's what you got to got to do. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. 
let's maybe just go back to uh, the first principles. So, so you're you're coming into a, a void of about twenty years, and if you care to go through our back catalog, I think about uh, halfway through last year, James and I had a conversation with our friend Don Perrin, who kind of inherited the the bits and pieces of Courier and um, M1. M1, yeah, and M1. then you know, reluctantly closed them down. And and he talked about at the time in, in our interview, he talked about some of the issues, right? Just the the, the lack of uh, subscribers, the lack of advertising revenue. The, the revenue wasn't covering, um, you know, wasn't covering his production costs. And it it he just sort of basically <clears throat> euthanized them. To be fair, I think is the decision, or the the correct way of describing his decision. So you're coming along twenty years later. And it sounds like you're bringing a, a, a great deal of optimism to this project, and we're really grateful to you for that. Um, what's has, has anything changed in those twenty years? I think the advent of digital publishing has. I mm-hmm. think it's going to make it cheaper and easier to get magazines to market. I mean, you know, remember twenty years, twenty five years ago, when you would order a subscription to a wargaming magazine? How long would you wait between issues? especially if it was one of the English glossies right. to get your issue in the mailbox. Now, well, once if, you you're done publishing, if you didn't splash out on a subscription, you sort of hoped that you might find one in a, in your bookstore, right? Um, but exactly. That was always a, 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 a hope, right? That was never guaranteed. Yeah. yeah. Nowadays, you know, push of a button. There it is in your email box, you know, waiting for you. Uh-huh. And, I mean, and that's, you know, I, I must tell your listeners, I, I think it's going to be the wave of the future. I mean, I've heard a lot of people tell me, you know, I'd subscribe to your magazine in a heartbeat if, you know, you were in paper. But the problem is, is I don't know how commercially viable paper is going to be in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's just facing facts. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, in my lifetime, Times and Newsweek and you know, Marie Claire and all the other big magazines you can think of are digital only. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. The the one magazine I still subscribe to, The Economist, I, I, I still get it in print form, but 90% of it are, I read online. And I think that's true, starting to be true of the, the hobby magazines too. I I subscribe to um, WSS and um, their sister publication, Ancient Warfare, just as PDFs. And you sent us uh, the October issue of uh your magazine do you call it mm is it for short or what do you what do you call it mm we do call it mm okay well i have to say it, it looks absolutely fabulous it is professionally laid out it looks to me very similar in in terms of its uh a visual appeal to wss or any of the the british glossies so yeah i, I totally see your point why why wouldn't you just do this as a pdf do you have any plans to do it as a as a print uh, magazine, or are you kind of thinking you'll just go purely digital? We'd like to at some point, but the numbers have got to be there. And you know, we're we're kind of you know, it's the numbers we keep coming up with. Let's just say you know they're pretty big. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. It's just it's just simple numbers. Yeah. Well, and I like I'm scrolling through it. I'm noticing like there's not a lot of advertising. You know, yeah, and that's that's something we're trying to get more of because you know, like I said, we we yeah. want to be. I don't want to say the standard bearer for the you know North American side of the hobby, but certainly 
the I, I'm trying to not say the words paper of records, but <laughs> I keep coming back to it. Correct. The New York Times of the North American hobby. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, 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 you are the, you are the standard. Um, cause there's no one else out there, you know, cause, cause yeah, like the, the, that's something we've been exploring over the last 10 issues is, is you know, our geography fights against us here in North America. I think uh-huh. <clears throat> it's a lot tougher for these little, you know, little one man band war games companies to make a living. And then, and, you know, they're busy trying to cover their overhead. And then it's like, and now we want, you know, we want you to, to advertise in a magazine. It's like, well, but then I can't, you know, pay to go to Historicon and I need to go to Historicon to show the flag. So it's like, well, oh, and, and we you know? get it. We're, we're willing to work out, you know, various understandings. Let's put it that way. I, I'm not really the person to talk to. I'm just the editor in chief. Samantha, who's our managing editor, she does, she handles all the advertising stuff and all the logistics and money side. But the thing that I would tell these folks is, Hey, just drop us a line. You know, I'm sure we can talk. Let's put it that way. And talking never hurt anybody. I I would certainly tell a lot of these companies, even if you just end up writing articles for us, it's still exposure for whatever you are, for whatever you're doing. And that's something. And then, you know, that's something that gets you out there. And, you know, then maybe five years down, three, five years down the line, when your overhead's a little better, you can come advertise with us. If nobody invests in the American side of the hobby, there is no American side of the hobby. I mean, we, we have in this upcoming, you know, issue, a letter from Stan, Sam Mustafa himself. It was a good letter, but he had some very strong things to say, like, you know, where the, pardon my French blank, is the American hobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's right. He's absolutely right. Yeah. And I think he's probably the the, the premier uh, <clears throat> war games author on this side of the Atlantic. It's hard to think of anybody else in North America with his his body of work and his, you know, his reputation. At least it's currently that's currently putting out games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who else is there? Rich Hasenauer. Uh, we haven't heard anything from Rich Hasenauer in at least 15 years. Yeah. The poor guy. Yeah, he's, he's getting up there. Frank Chadwick is doing endless variations of command decision. Uh, I'm just trying to go through the list, mental list of people that I know. And it's. Well, John Hill passed away a few years ago. Yeah. John's gone. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not a big list anymore. No, and there was some, and, and there's some pretty creative stuff. Like, you know, Fire and Fury was a groundbreaking game. It was. It, it, it broke the mold for, for how War Games rules were published, like presented. You know, there's actual color and, and nice big pages and instead of these stupid little, you know, folded over courier typeface, hard to read. You know, tactic, Tactica broke the stranglehold that, the, that uh, WRG rules had on ancient gaming. You know, like, yeah, there's some good stuff. Yeah, we did that. We as a, we as a North American wargaming community did that. And yeah. to say that we can't do it again, especially in this digital age where, my God, we should be more than able to, not less. And that's what kind of what has me shaking my head because look at all the rules releases that are coming out now. Name one that's an American rule set. I can't think of any, really. No. Yeah. 
Nobody can. You know, in Canada, we have few. We have a few people that are still active in a small way, but we have a little. Like, there's a guy that I've been hoping to get on the podcast sometime this year called Kerry Anderson, who, in the 80s and 90s, he published a pretty large uh, stable of guys doing uh, paper games, like you know, Hex Encounter games. Uh, I think they were called War Games Design Group or something like that. And I vaguely some of that stuff. Yeah, and one of them was uh, one of them is the most well known now is Brian Train, who you know published that uh, that Coin Afghanistan game for GMT. Um, so we do have some folks up here too, but they're really not as well known as they should be. And all of the same rules that you know James alluded to a minute ago, and that you know, Jason you discussed with Ken Riley apply here, right? Which is that we have a, a huge geography, we have a relatively small hobby um and it's been crippled in part too because of covid for the last two years we hadn't we haven't been able to get together for the most part you know and uh the few big shows that uh, that kind of unite most of us um you know cold wars historic on they're all in doubt right now so yeah there's not a lot of there's not a lot of glue holding us together as a north american hobby and there should be yeah and that's kind of where i see military miniature coming in yeah as as I saw the lights go out at Courier, the lights go out at, you know, M1. And, you know, I kept thinking to myself for a long time, somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. And then one day it kind of hit me. Uh, hey, you might be that somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it was a calling. <laughs> yeah. well, the, the I suppose it was. I, I, I don't want to use such strong language for what is essentially a hobby, but yeah, maybe it was. I don't know. But, you know, the circumstances fell together for him, and you've got the backing of a, of a publishing company. You know, I do. I you're, do. You're, and you're, you're not like M1 and Courier and HMG Magazine, which were all basically being published in the publisher's living room, right? Correct. You know, I mean, I helped on doing some layout on HMG, and, you know, I've got his his cat fighting me with for the mouse and you know and then you know what do what do we want for dinner and and you know it was, it was fine <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't you know it's all very self-taught and and pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and and couldn't get enough momentum you know so having having an actual publishing company helping you out is huge it is and it's allowed us to entertain expanding into some other places like we're you know we're announcing in this issue that we are going forward with military miniature press which is going to be a wargaming oriented publishing company we're out there looking for rules for you know book painting guides anything of practical use to a wargamer we want it okay that's quite cool you know yeah, and we're looking for 2023 manuscripts. Uh, you know, if hey, if you got a COVID project and you, of a book of something, of a book for wargaming, contact me. Oh, here you go, guys. This is your chance. Your your your, your the rules you've been working on are being solicited right now. Call this number because <laughs> our, <laughs> our our lines are open and our operators are standing by. Yeah. Actually, right. They're not, but fifth floor gets a set of steak knives. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a confession, Jason. I am maybe the only guy in uh, wargaming, uh, well, in, in the 
my age bracket, which is the 50 to 60 age bracket, who's never actually sat down and written a, uh, a set of rules just because I'm crap with it. Um, James, on the other hand, has quite a few in his desk drawer that uh, you should talk to him offline because uh, he's probably got something for you. I'm just absolute rubbish at it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could. I should. Uh, geez, so the manus the, the the files are so old they might be corrupted though after so many changes in Microsoft Word. Oh God. There's ways to do conversions. The 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 newer versions are actually pretty friendly to older files. Oh, good. I'll have to dig around in my uh, sort out all my different thumb drives and everything and see what I've still got. So Jason, here's a question for you. Since we're talking about rules and so forth, it, do you see any cultural differences in war games design or tabletop rules between North American and let's just say British sensibilities? You hear it that like North Americans love case numbers like the old SPI format, right? Rule 8.3.7, whereas British rules are just written kind of like stream of consciousness and they're all it's just like a, a kind of a loosey goosey feeling about how you do something. Do you think there's, is that stereotype true? Do you think? It's true. As far as I know, <laughs> mm. uh, you're mm. talking to a guy who, you know, I, I mean, not to put myself on too much of a, under the spotlight here, but you know, I do have certain, well, let's just say learning disabilities. So for me, I, I will admit I sort of gravitated to the British rules writing style because it was easier for me to get wrap my head around what they were saying. But as I'm also a professional writer, I kind of sit there and go, yeah, but what are they trying to say with this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. A lot of a lot of people writing Morgan's rules, it, it, like they don't understand it's technical writing. You know, and, you, yeah. Bullet points, and you need uh, you need tables, and you know don't don't stint on that stuff. Like, oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm I've got my foot in both the creative and the technical writing arena because I, I I write stories for fun. Mm -hmm. My day job is a technical writer, and I sit there, and there are times I have to stop myself in one arena, arena or the other, going too far down one lane or too far down the other. But I get it. You know, rules are sort of a mesh between the two in my mind because, you know, I find if you write in too turgid a standard, uh, too turgid a tone for a set of rules, nobody's going to learn it. They'll just fall asleep with their nose in the book and you know, drooling on it. It'll be a really horrible scene, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, the old SBI rules. Oh, yeah. Uh, on, on the other extreme with the, you know, the creative writing, um, Contact Front, which I think is actually American published. Um, it is. It is. Uh, yeah. Carlton British, British writer, American publisher. And yeah. like just the, the like there's a good set of rules in there. I really like them. But the way he presents them with the voice of the training cadre, you know, barking at you, like gets in the way. And you've got to stop and go, okay, let's clear that out and read, you know, just read the paragraph of rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's another you know, extreme from the other other side, but yeah, it's you know, I I like contact front. I haven't played it yet, but I like it for the oh, three fruits that I've given. It's I, I want to. It's it's very solo friendly. It, it's very solo friendly, and another thing I like about it, it's kind of got that ambush alley. 
thing going. And, and you're talking to a guy who loved Ambush Alley, Force on Force, Tomorrow's War. I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and I still talk to Sean Carpenter. Uh, you know, Sean, if you're listening, you know, we really would love another edition. <laughs> I know you said you wouldn't, but, you know, please. I mean, Carl has a real thing going. And I like where he's going with it. On his Facebook page, he's he's working on Falkland, so I know we're getting a Falkland supplement for that probably pretty soon. Yeah, and I wrote a, I wrote a Canadian uh, Army list for Afghanistan for him. I don't know if he has put it up as a free download or not, but well, I mean, if he doesn't, uh, ask him if we can make use of it. We'll hey, we'll we'll pay you we'll pay you for writing the article. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Happily, I can, I can give you pictures of my toys too. Yeah, we love says, that. We Sam says very. We nice. do American a photo. So, where do you see the trend lines right now in terms of things like skirmish versus big games, complex rules versus simple rules? You know, you those are things that you hear a lot of debates right about. People of a certain age just don't have time to play massive war games anymore. So. You know, warband kind of scale, skirmish scale stuff is kind of what works for people these days. Where where do you see the trend lines in the hobby right now? Well, I mean, I love Ken. I love being on his show. And I love big games. I do. But I, I think the trend line is going more for right now. Towards skirmish games, towards warband games, towards, you know, simpler rules. Because for the reasons you said. People are getting older. They don't have as much time to game. And, you know, it's also a question of, you know, some folks for health reasons can't paint a lot of figures or they can't, you know, do this, that, or the other reason. And they just don't have a lot of space to work with. Maybe they downsize their house, downsize Mm -hmm. their figure collection, all of these things. And that's why, you know, uh, Joseph McCullough has practically got a license to print money these days. (laughs) There's another (laughs) I mean, I just interviewed the guy and, you know, I told him, I think you're the hardest working man in wargaming. And he kind of, kind of laughed at that one, but he's putting out a rule set. What about every other year? Just about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I gotta say, I think it's going in that direction. Cause I've seen a lot of skirmish, other skirmish rules coming out, like Nordic weasels practically making a cottage industry of it on, uh, you know, war games vault, uh, You've, I just got a set of rules from Amazon that we're going to be reviewing, Hounds of War Mark II, sort of a generic skirmish rule set. We'll see how well that stands up. There's so many other you know, entries into that part of the hobby. And on the one hand, I love it, you know, because I don't have to sit there and go out and buy a lot of figures. It's, you know, I can get into periods that I've always wanted to do and not drive myself insane. On the other hand, there are just things that I want the spectacle. You know, like my 15 millimeter Russian Civil War project. I wasn't going to do that small. I just wasn't. I want to do armies, you know, throwing themselves at each other across the Russian steppe. I I just, that's what I have in my mind's eye. And that's what I want. And when I eventually get my poles for the same period painted up, I want to see mass, you know, charges of Polish cavalry. I want that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the, the point the points you made about, you know, why skirmish games and warband games are appealing to older gamers. You know, they also work really well for younger gamers because, you know, there's a much lower entry level. You know, they I mean, you know, as an older gamer, I suddenly find I have more money now to spend. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas, you know, when I was younger, a skirmish level game would have been really appealing. It's like, oh, I only need to buy like, you know, a box of figures and get them painted up and I can start playing. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you know, and so, so it, work, it works from both ends, really. Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, you know, and by, by kid, I mean 13, 14, 15, you know, yep. when I was really, you know, building up my 20 millimeter collection, which I still have, <laughs> I would buy tons of $7 Essie plastic figures because yeah. you got 50 in a box and there was one box. You had your platoon right there. Yeah. yeah. You know, everything, you weapons, everything. And you could just, I mean, granted, I didn't paint the figures because they're plastic, soft plastic. And back in those days, I hadn't cracked the code on how to get the paint to stick to the darn figures. So oh. I'd mount them on spare squad leader counters and away they went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that works. Um, yeah. And, and I find what's really great with things like I'm a big fan of Lion Rampant, and Dragon Rampant, which are you know technically war band. You know, but I mean, Mike and I, we we will regularly throw, you know, hundred point armies at each other for Dragon Rampant because yeah. the game the game scales up that well. You know, yeah. so you can start with a war band, and then oh, you've painted another war band and another war band, and you just now you have an army. You know, which is to me, it's a it's a thing that makes it work better, right? Oh yeah. I- there's a you know there's something to really be said for rules like that like you know one of the thing one of the limitations of the the grave games as I call Frostgrave and Stargrave that mm. even Joseph McCullough admits is your characters reach a certain level in the game and then they just kind of stagnate and he's trying to come up with more you know books to and, and projects to address that but this is the thing even role playing games campaigns end. Characters age out. Characters get too powerful, and suddenly there's just not much challenge in it anymore. For any number of reasons. And I guess one of the other, you know, things about these warband rules is the characters will always reach a certain level, hmm. and then the game will stop being a challenge. You know, no matter how many supplements you release or how many of the other things. And one of the great things you can do with larger scale battles is, it's you can. You can really play around with concepts and victory conditions and all that in a far more dynamic way in my mind. But I mean, I could be wrong. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of you know skirmish gamers out there who would love to write me a care of the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think one of the the wise wise things that a friend of mine said uh, recently was that um, all wargaming at its root has some aspect of role playing to it. Um, so <clears throat> you're always trying to put yourself in the position of something on the table, whether it's a, a French hussar colonel or it's, a, you know, some sergeant fighting off tiger tanks with, you know, one anti-tank gun and two bazookas or something like that, right? There's always a tabletop game should have some sort of role-playing aspect. But now, you know, some of those old monster games from the 70s and 80s, like where you're just looking at the whole Operation Barbarossa or the whole Three Days of Gettysburg, yeah, it's hard to see the way in. But I think... One of the cool things about the period we're in right now is that the warband games allow a certain amount of role playing, and you see that, for example, with uh, some of the really successful British rules like uh, Tooth Outlardy Sharp Practice, 
um, they become, and James and I have talked about this before, they become vehicles to tell stories, right? Mm-hmm. And, and those stories don't necessarily have to always be about, you know, a character who's constantly leveling up and becoming more and more powerful and looking around for bigger monsters to fight, as you were saying, that's sort of one of the downsides of traditional RPGs, but it, you know, you can, you can have a very satisfying story about some guy who's like, you know, holding off the the Japanese on Hong Kong and knowing that he's going to lose. Right. But still finding something in that story that, that motivates you. Or, or, or my last sharp practice game, I had, you know, further adventures of Hans and Franz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love those guys. Yeah, they're my, they're they're my two Bavarian Schutzen. A lot go. I could say, but I won't. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I use I use them to tell the story, and unfortunately, the last game, like they're you know the Schutzen are in the woods, are just doing their thing, shooting, and then all the action is happening with this troop of cavalry. So it's like, well, now I have to make up a new character to tell the story. Yeah. You know, so now I've got Lieutenant Vogel and his troop of Sh- Chevalier and. You know, they're charging down the road, ha- having a great day. But yeah, it's all about stories. I mean, you know, Mike and I have got all these different characters that are, you know, they're part of our short form when we talk to each other, you know. Oh, every, every war gamer has stories like that. You know, I mean, uh, we had a bunch of, you know, characters, um, you know, in our games. And when I was a kid, junior high school, that just grew out of, you know, various incidents in games. We had, I mean, let's see, there was Pedro, the mad Spanish bicyclist who, you know, uh, was uh, some blue division survivor who was convalescing in France, got a hold of a bicycle and did drive-bys with his MP40. That was one. There was the Hitler Youth Glee Club battalion that sang so badly both sides shot at them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we, we came up with some really creative, messed up stuff. (laughs) Yeah. But from the minds, you know, uh, 13 and 14 year olds, insanity will truly reign. Well, yeah. So that's kind of what keeps, but, keeps it fun. Yeah, yeah. But it's but it's funny, even 30 years today, to the day, um, I was, you know, I'm getting married. You know, my friend Chris is in my, in my groomsman's party. And all I had to say was, ching, ching, like a bicycle, you know, you know, a little bicycle. <laughs> Well, he just doubled over laughing. Oh, that's great. He knew exactly what I meant. Yeah. We had a conversation a, a couple of episodes back here with, uh, we called it the the Airfix generation talks to the, the Warhammer generation. So we were talking to guys who were in their 30s who came into the hobby through Warhammer or Bolt Action or whatever. And I think part of that, part of that idea applies, right? That there's there's a connection between small games, uh, a kind of an RPG mentality where you're, you know, you want to be Sergeant Rock, you know, with his Tommy gun fighting off the tiger tank. And then th- that's kind of the gateway into what, what we older guys might call like proper historical gaming. Right. But I think really when you dig down proper historical gaming is whatever floats your boat, right? Like you, oh, 50 yeah. year olds can be just as silly about, you know, as you were saying about a, some, crazy character that just grabs your imagination oh yeah um i I wanted to just ask you about the the focus uh one of the things i really liked about the issue you sent us jason was how eclectic it is like yeah yeah we don't do themes 
That's that was a decision I made from the beginning. Every gamer I've talked to about Wargaming Magazine has pretty much said we hate themes. We hate them. We really hate them. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally people eliciting promises and blood for me saying you will not do themes. No, I will not do themes. I promise. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how WSS pulls it off. They must be trying to collect the articles for their themes for like like a year in advance, really. It's got to be something. And even they aren't totally married to the theme, because I'll be honest with you, the one time I was published in WSS, it was on a magazine. I think the Carthaginians were the theme that that month. (laughs) And I was one of the non-theme articles. So even they're a little like, yeah, we'll do themes, but, you know, wink and a nod and a blah, 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 whatever, you know, we're not not going to our breath. You know, four articles are the theme, and then the rest of the magazine is everything else. Um, yeah, which is if you know, you're going to do like, that's probably the way to do it. Yeah, so otherwise you'll just leave people going, "Well, there's nothing in here for me to this this issue. That was a waste." Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I said to myself, I wasn't going to waste other people's money. I I said to myself, you know what? I want to give them. All, the most we can with as much for them to ha- get something out of that we can. Now, I will admit one thing. We have a ton of book reviews in the upcoming issue. I, I want to apologize in advance for that one. Uh, you know. Osprey's generous, so let's put it that way. <laughs> Nothing wrong with book reviews. And Osprey's just producing a ton of stuff right now. I was joking with Sorry. some friends that I, I'm, I'm half expecting Osprey to do like a set of rules for Cowboys versus Dinosaurs or something like that. <laughs> yeah, don't joke about that because they probably will. In fact, they probably have somebody listening to the podcast right now going, that's a really great idea. Well, Who do we call for what? <laughs> you, want it, you want it, folks, it's yours. Cowboys versus Dinosaurs. You heard it here first. Oh, uh, you know, McCullough can do it. <laughs> Uh, McCullough's working on something else, but I'll let you read about it in the interview. Yeah. He actually he actually told me. I was really surprised. I'm like, wait, wait, you're going to tell me this? <laughs> oh, that's great. So your next issue is dropping, uh, is it the 14th, Jason? 14th of January? Yep, 14th of January. Wow, that's exciting. And if our listeners want to get a, get a hold of a copy, we'll, we'll obviously put all your contact information in our notes, but do you want to give a quick shout out to how to get in touch with you? Sure. The website for us is www.militaryminiature, all one word, all lowercase, dot com. That'll take you right to the website. The new issue is 201. That's dropping on the 14th. Uh-huh. A little note, our subscriber system is issue-based, not chronologically based. What that means is, is it counts the number of issues. The minor flaw that we have with that is, is if you don't subscribe by the day after the issue drops, your subscription will start the next issue. It's just that that's the way our system works. Don't ask, you know, it, it, we have little quirks. Uh, unfortunately, the other thing you can't get to work with it is PayPal. It's, but we have ways we can take PayPal. And if you want, if you want to pay us by PayPal, you know, contact me, care of the magazine. I will get you to the right people who can send you a PayPal invoice. And we can bill you that way, and then we can send you the issues, you know, manually, and we'll get them to you. We we have several people on that list. We don't mind adding more. Believe me, we don't. Okay. 
sounds incredibly convoluted, but very dedicated on your part. So just help me out with the math, which is not my strong point. If somebody wants to get their subscription, wants to start with the, the January 14th, what's the drop dead, dead deadline to order it? January 15th. January 15th. Okay. Got it. It's a little counterintuitive. The day after. Okay. Yeah. We are just so, you know, everybody knows bottom line. Um, these are prices in America. And I'm sorry, folks, but it's just what I've got. That's the currency I happen to know the best. It's $26.20 for a year of four issues, but that's going to change in July because we're going to be going bi-monthly for sure. Oh, really? Yep. Yep. You, that's the plan. Oh, that's really ambitious. Good for you. We're trying. Um, we, I find ambition works for you if you're, if you're willing to work for it, you know, it's one of those funny things, you know, ambitious people without drive, they don't get anywhere, but if you're ambitious, who's willing to work, you can get a lot of good places. All right. Well, it's, uh, it's been great talking to you and, uh, we're excited that, uh, the North American, um, North American scene is, is going to see a new magazine after 20 years. So Jason, we will, um, We'll follow you with interest and we'd like to have you back uh, maybe uh, three or four months down the road just to check in with you and ask how things are going. Sure. I'd, I'd love to be on the show. Like I said, we find that more of these, you know, podcasts really helps get the, the, the news about the magazine out. You know, we love talking to, to your, to you guys, to your listeners, some of the podcast community, when we tried to get on, they kind of saw, said, wait a minute, your competition. Uh, I heard you mentioned it. I thought what? for a little bit. Yeah, that's crazy. Which uh, which podcast have you have you been on uh, on this side of the Atlantic? Um, Lead Pursuit and Anything But a One. Okay. Okay. Those guys are great. Anything But a One. And what was the first one you mentioned? A Lead Pursuit podcast. Their 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 orientation is more towards Blood Red Skies, but okay. they're sort of branching out, and you know. I talked to the guy there and he just really liked what, what we were doing. And he was just, he was just an awesome and fun podcast to do. Um, okay. I will give everybody a language warning on that one. He, 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 he does love his four letter words sometimes, but that's just who yeah. he is. James, uh, has been really, James has been really good tonight. He's been pretty. Uh, well, pretty thank good. you. Thank yeah. you. I've been, I've been good. Yes. I have not gotten impassioned with my speechifying. Just get James going on Lord of the Rings sometime and, and you'll hear some F-words. No, no, no. no, the Hobbit movies. Then I'll start. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the other one that uh, we've we've had a bit of a relationship with as, as podcasters is um, a podcast called Across the Pond Wargamers. And I've heard of them. Yeah. They are, unfortunately, I think that we talked to, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the lead guy, but he he's a sweet guy and he's just super, super busy right now, but he's hoping that he'll get a podcast up again in the uh, not too distant right. future. I'll, I'll shoot you his contact information if you want to get a hold of him. Yeah, I'll give that to Mark. He usually handles my my appearance stuff, but you know, we can talk to him. We could definitely have him have it have, have him talk to him we and see. Want to talk to, uh, you definitely want to talk out. to a veteran wargamer too. Mm, oh, yeah. I I would love to be on veteran wargamer. I'm a big fan of Jay's. Uh, when I did go to work as opposed to be working from home. Now, Jay was my pod, my go-to podcast to listen to while I'm yeah. stuck on the bus in Metro. So Jay, if you're listening, thank you. All right. Well, we're going to say goodnight, uh, Jason, and thanks so much for being our guest. And uh, we look forward to, uh, we look forward to the next issue. It's really exciting. So yeah.
Thank you. And thanks for having me, guys. You've been great. Um, look forward to listening to the dulcet tones of my horrible voice. But, you know, <laughs> I just want to thank you. And I want to thank everybody out there who's subscribed and everyone out there who is giving us a shot. I, I you know, I want to make this the magazine you want us to be. So well, it, thank it, you, guys. It's a good looking magazine so far anyway, like what I've seen. Cool. All right. Can I, Jason? Well, there you go, James. Are you uh, are you optimistic about the future of uh, Jason's magazine? Well, yeah. I, I in these situations, I always remember, you know, because I'm I'm a reluctant adopter of technology. Mm-hmm. Right. For me, like you know, as as Don said when he was talking about three D printing, you know, they're not an appliance yet. Right. And that's they have to be for me. Right. Personally, like I, you know, I've I've gotten like. Uh, complimentary you know digital copies of magazines and I go, oh great and i download them and i put them on my tablet and then i can't find them or i forget about them and they're, they're, they're just not there like i mean for for me for digital media like i'll, I'll download a book a novel from the library and read it and that's fine but i'm i still like analog media um but that's just me you know, there's lots of other people that are jumping on digital magazines and they love them. And yeah, I look at my pile of magazines on my bookshelf and go, well, huh, that's kind of a waste of trees, but they're there. You know, I don't have to them getting lost on my hard drive, like so many other things. But I mean, it's a good looking magazine. I like it. Mm-hmm. Had good articles, nice layout. So... Yeah, I think it's just totally to be commended. And, you know, I've been going through the same debate myself uh, for back when, before COVID, I used to go to uh, chapters quite regularly and they always had dependably had a copy of WSS. So regularly buy it. And I have, you know, a a file box somewhere here in my office of uh, back issues and I don't go through them terribly often. But I thought to myself the other day, you know what? I really should subscribe to WSS and put my money where my mouth is and support a hobby magazine. Uh, I also uh, picked up a subscription to their Ancient Warfare magazine because, as I've mentioned here before, I've started to get interested in biblical stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this time I decided uh, to go digital and just check it out. And I have to say so far it's a little bit complicated because you get them as PDFs and it's difficult to um, it's difficult to send a PDF to your Kindle reader. At least I've, I've haven't quite figured out how to do that yet. Anyway, um, I'm sure somebody will correct us, but I have them. They're there. It's, you know, um, not that hard to navigate them. And I feel good about sporting the, a trade magazine. So I think I'm going to do that with Jason. I'm going to probably go on a magazine by magazine thing and see how it goes. Um, I'm sure he would appreciate having a year subscription revenue and maybe I'll do that because it's not super expensive. I think he said it was what, 30 bucks US a, a year. Yeah. Yeah. So that's for, and, and he's talking about going court, uh, not quarterly bi-monthly. So I imagine he'll need uh, the revenue to do that. And I think he's probably fortunate that he has a backer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the sticking the then uh, the sticking point um, is getting content. At least that's what I found when I was working on it, helping Don with HMG magazine was it was getting content, right? 
And it, it just it just gutted me because you know the last issue we worked on had some really cracker articles, and then Don pulled the plug. And it's like, gosh darn it, you know, mm. like, and yeah, it would it would have been nice to reach out to those uh, the the one the one article in particular. I wish I'd reached out to the uh, author and or been able to reach out to the author and say, hey, this is a really great article. You should, you know, send it off to you know miniature war games or something like that yeah but yeah and i guess that's up to us if uh you know to provide content although i i noted um that and i haven't ordered my copy yet i should i'm embarrassed to say i haven't i haven't ordered my copy yet of the two fat lardies uh, annual their christmas special mm -hmm. uh, but it just seems to get bigger every year mm -hmm. well i mean it's fan driven right exactly i mean they have a, a highly motivated uh fan base and amazed at how I think we've talked about this before, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I think Richard Clark and, and um, company deserve every credit for having created that motivated fan base. It is a movement in a way. Um, yeah. So, you know, people do seem to be motivated to sit down and write stuff, uh, but it's, it's hard work. It can be, I know Conrad Kinch writes a, a monthly piece for miniature war games. Uh, CK. I think it's, I think it's miniature war games. Yeah, and it's good stuff. It's his uh, send three and sixpence, I think is the name of the column. But it's, you know, he'll he'll say on Twitter regularly, this is hard work. Like I have to sit down and bash my head against the wall and think of something to write and I have to do it well and I have to do it within to a deadline and within 500 words or whatever. Yeah, and keep it amusing and interesting. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's tough. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, um, present company included are just happier just to waffle on air and then call it a podcast. Right. Cause there's not a lot of discipline required for this medium. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. And you know, you, you hit a brain fart. You can just edit that out. Oh, well, that's true. So anyway, uh, great talking to Jason and uh, lots of success to you, buddy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll be getting some Canadian content from us down the road. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's good to have a, a, a North American magazine once again in the um, in the hobby space. Well, speaking of Canadian content, it's time to go to the Canadian content corner. corner james you asked me last time we did this why do we have a canadian content corner if the whole bloody podcast is called the canadian wargamer podcast well yeah yeah it's a good question what is canadian content like are is this just is this just for cancon points <laughs> for the tax subsidies that's right <laughs> those, those crtc 
tax subsidies. Yeah, all those early, uh, all those early horror movies like uh, Shivers and Raybit, what uh, um, uh, uh, Cronenberg did in the seventies were all funded by the Canadian taxpayer. Yay. So, yeah. Well, here's here's how I see it, and uh, you know, this is just this is just my take on it. I, I think, yeah, the whole thing, the whole podcast is Canadian content in the sense that you and I are Canadian, but it becomes a question of our, what is there specifically in our country's hobby scene that we can talk about that makes it specifically Canadian. So you and I talking about painting miniatures for um, the Battle of Leipzig, is that Canadian or is that Napoleonic? Are we just two Canadian guys who like painting Napoleonic miniatures? Whereas I think if we were accept, if we were like really intentional about recreating a, uh, a part of the Battle of Ortona, for example, and using, you know, figures from a guy like Alex McCutcheon. Uh, Alex, please go ahead and design those figures. Because um, you've know, got that, printers to print them out now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be that would be super Canadian, right? Yes, that would be that would be maple dipped Canadian. Maple dipped Canadian with, with a beaver on top, wrapped in bacon. Exactly. Yes, oh that'd be so Canadian. So, so yeah, that's that's kind of what I mean by Canadian content. Um, All right. Yeah. Oh, hey, but you know, while we're talking about Canadian content, while perusing Military and Miniature magazine, they mentioned Legions for Hire, as in four, as in the Roman numeral four, Legions for Hire, and right. it's a it, it, it it's a distributor of GHQ and CNC in Winnipeg, Manitoba. No kidding. Yeah. So, to all our Canadian listeners who want to get their micro armor, you can order some of it. From uh, Legions for Hire in Winnipeg and not pay international postage. I'm just Googling so, how to speak. Yeah, I mean, I was, oh God, I was looking at, you know, 12400 scale Pacific War ships because, you know. Because you do that stuff. I need to do, you know, cruiser actions in the Pacific. Here we go. Legions for IV Hire. Yeah, and they have a bunch of really interesting stuff. Uh, so I'm going to put a link to that in the uh, podcast notes. And then you told me about a uh, on Twitter, you nasty, tempting person. You you sent me a, uh, a tweet from this guy who's running a game store in Halifax, Tadnac Games. I saw that so long ago, I've forgotten all about it. Canadian war game distributor and online retailer located in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So, oh, board games, board games. Yes, those things. Right. You don't have a lot of time for board games. I don't know why. It's amazing. But, it's amazing. I still like you, really. I I have to have the shiny toys, the models. I I, I yes. I mean, you know, you can do everything with with wine bottle corks and pieces of foam with labels stuck on them. I mean, you know, it's all just it's all just a token, but it looks like shit. And and my my attitude towards board games changes when the you know when the up the aesthetic value, mm-hmm. you know like you know if you've got like you know nice smoothly printed rounded edges brightly printed counters, you know as opposed to the little tiny you know you had to punch them all out and it's li- crammed with crammed with numbers, you know so many numbers on there it looks like a it, it looks like an advanced physics professor's chalkboard <laughs> you know those kind of games lose me yeah like there has to be a pretty factor well there there's definitely an acquired taste for sure but um it would be worth uh i think i'm going to reach out to 
proprietor of Tadnac Games and ask him uh, what's going on and what do they do. And the same with Legions for Hire. Because yeah, we, we, want, we want to talk to these guys for sure. Yeah, we're not, we're not looking for merch. We just want to talk to them. Sorry. Uh, speaking of uh, a game that uh, looked pretty, not pretty, I spent an hour um, tonight on Twitch. I have never been on Twitch before. I know it's something that... Uh, what is Twitch? I mean, well, Twitch is something I get when I haven't had my tea. Yes, yeah. Twitch is something that old people like us don't understand. Um, but super young people in their teens and 20s uh, use it as a um, uh, to stream video games. Okay, it's not like ticket. It's not like that tickety talk where they play their hippity hop music, is it? Well, uh, it's that same kind of thing. Yeah, if you're on Twitch, you're probably on tick on uh, TikTok, and uh, you're probably, I don't know, you probably think Instagram is something for your grandparents. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, now I don't know about that. That's just I'm shaking my fist here. I still have my Facebook account, and that's good enough for me. That's right. Anyway, okay, so anyway, the young, the young, the young kids being all hip on Twitch. So I'm watching these kids tonight, uh, and they're they are kids because they're they, well they're young adults. They're I guess they sounded like they were in their twenties. The one person I could see was definitely in their early twenties. So the university students, university students, yeah, and they are playing um, a seven years war game using tabletop simulator. Cool. And the uh, they zoomed in on one of the counters, and it was a uh, kind of a hand drawn group of guys in red sort of t-shirts on horses uh, because that was, they needed a, a horse icon and uh, that was it. But fascinatingly enough, the, the rules they were using were Sam Mustafa's uh, might and honor seven years war rules. Oh, and I thought, wow, that is uh, super interesting. Uh, and they're talking very knowledgeably about the hardware required to uh, um host a game on TTS and then to stream it. And I know lots of people have been using TTS during uh, COVID. I haven't uh, tried it myself. You got to pay, you got to pay for it, right? Do you got to subscribe? Oh, I guess so. I don't, I wouldn't know. I know. I, I don't want to pay for things. I'm cheap. I'm, I'm old and cheap. Well, what do you mean you're cheap? You got <laughs> people giving you boxes and Napoleonic miniatures for God's sake. But I have to buy limbers for them. I have to buy limbers. Yeah. God. You're like that guy. I had a sergeant in the RCR who said, this guy is such a grumbler. If somebody gave him a stack of gold bricks in the parking lot, he'd piss and whine because he didn't have a wheelbarrow to carry them to his car. <laughs> yeah, I, I always say the kind of person to complain if their ice cream is cold. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, these guys uh, are... Um, the only reason I found out about them is because uh, Bob Page from the Laurentian uh, Tabletop Organization put me onto them and mm. when we had that uh, discussion with uh evan switzer and um jacob stoutner jacob stoutner yeah sorry jacob yeah i think it was uh evan who told us about them and uh mm -hmm. you, you have a little bit of knowledge about bob page i've communicated with them and hopefully we'll uh find a way to get him on the podcast um yeah. but it is a um it seems to indicate that uh, there's a bunch of uh, university students in canada and possibly elsewhere that are playing seven years war games online. So that is, which is kind of cool. It is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, eventually, the, eventually they'll, they'll pay miniatures. We can only hope. Or well, yeah, they will 3d print them. So that's a bit of Canadian content. And then the other thing I just wanted to give a plug for is our friend, uh, Brad St. Croix, Dr. Brad, who has been on the podcast twice now. Mm -hmm. uh, Brad uh, announced recently that uh, he is 
being picked up by Project 44 to be. Okay, there. What is Project 44? What is Project 44? Project 44 may be the coolest thing in Canadian military history ever. But it's so pretty cool. It is super cool. It is, if you Google Project 44, um, I'll put the URL, of course, in the pod notes. But Project 44 is an interactive map uh, database. Yeah, it's just project44.ca. That's it. Uh, and it, it focuses on the Canadian Army in uh, Northwest Europe and Italy. Oh. So you can, uh, you can pick a date. You can pick a theater. Uh, you can drill down to an individual regiment. You can see where their positions were on such and such a day. Uh, you can jump from uh, the map to the, uh, the war diary. Um, oh, that is cool. So you can, yeah. find, you can find out what, you know, like the Three Rivers Tank Regiment was doing uh, on such and such a day in, you know, Sicily. And there is a ton of useful information for scenario designers because you can go from there to Google Earth and look at the ground and uh, you've got the order of battle. You've got something about the regimental diary. It's a treasure trove of information. Hmm. So, you know, if you can, t if the Brad Zilke books are kind of, you know, like first level you know, honors, honors BA level Canadian military history. This is like grad school stuff. So I totally recommend it. And Brad is going to be their social media coordinator. So good on you, Brad. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Looks neat. It is. It's very, very cool. And did I have anything else under Canadian content to talk about tonight? I think that may be about it. Blah, blah. Oh, except that we were talking about Hong Kong last time, right? Yes. Well, guess who is working on uh, not only what appears to be uh, uh, possibly a Hong Kong set of scenarios, but is, is actually doing a 3D mock-up of part of the battlefield, Richard Clark. Yes, I just saw that. Yeah. He was carving, he got a big cube of, of uh, insulating foam and yeah. was plotting out his, his uh, table. And last week he had uh, set up a map, which he'd, uh, uh, obviously it was a period map, and he had put the uh, individual companies of the defenders on little strips of paper and he'd marked out the, the defense lines for the, the uh, Japanese assault on the island. And so he's obviously planning something. Yes. I think everybody's hoping for a pint sized campaign maybe. Yeah. And we actually got, uh, we actually got uh, our friend, Dr. Brad in, in touch with him and they were talking about the battle itself. So I thought that was just kind of a nice little synergy. That, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It was. So yeah, I think uh, I think Hong Kong is definitely going to be something I I will visit. I talked about visiting Peter Pig and buying some of their Japanese. I haven't done that yet, but that's definitely on my to-do list for this year. All right, I think that's all the Canadian content I have. Uh, we've talked a little bit about what we've been working on, and uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, the Analog Hobbies Painting Challenge because I'm in it this year. Oh, you mad fool. I am a mad fool and uh, on many levels. Um, but when we had Kurt on, Kurt Campbell, the Snow Lord, uh, about four or five podcasts ago, he threw down the uh, invitation to both of us. And I thought, you know what? Uh, it would be a really good thing for me to do because it'll just focus on getting some stuff off the painting desk. So every week now, between now and March 20th, I have a goal to get something painted and finished. And for me, that's, that's useful. You know, that's a little hmm. spur. So that's what I'm doing. And right now my project, and, and I don't know how, sometimes do you ever ask yourself, 
how did this get to my, the front of my painting queue? You're more methodical than I am. You sit down and you say, I'm going to do a goddamn Afghan village and you just do it. Whereas I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a butterfly. I just flutter all over the place. And so my butterfly brain has a, a, a bag of assembled Victrix Germanic warriors, mm -hmm. which I'm tonight. I've been cutting out uh, the uh, little big man shield transfers, which are very cool. And I, <laughs> was terribly intimidated at first by that I figured them figured them out pretty quickly. And I, what am I going to do with a band of Germanic warriors? I don't What's know. For that uh, sword and shield or yeah, a clash of spears, which is what the guys at the local game store here in Barry are playing. And I thought, you know, when in Rome, do what the Romans do. Uh, mm -hmm. They were all doing uh, Punic War stuff, but I thought, God damn it, I want a bunch of Germanic warriors and. My thinking is I can probably shoehorn them into uh, um, Middle Earth somehow. Oh, yeah. I can yeah. put them in as, you know, like half wild men on the edges of Rohan. Um, yep, Dunlending. I mean, yeah, I kind of prefer Picts or Irish for Dunland myself. That's just me. But can always set a battle a little further north. Men from yeah. the wilds uh, fighting Dane, etc. Yeah, exactly. That that would work really well as well. And, um, you know, because you just can't have enough like wild guys with spears and hacky swords and things. So, no, whether no, that leads me to pick up a, a bunch of um, Roman legionnaires, I don't know. Uh, do Exilia. Exilia. If, if you're going to do a fourth that small, just focus yeah. on Exilia because they did all the fighting. The legionaries were just sitting around building roads and collecting the glory. I may take your advice about that because that might give me an excuse to look at uh, infamy infamy one day, but uh, anyway, so that's what I've been doing. And then there's a bunch of seven years war stuff that I'll get back to once the Germanic guys are done and you are painting your Bavarians and Russians. Yes. I, I have a, I, I have a plan. Um, my plan right now is I'm going to do the last of my Bavarians because uh, before Christmas, Scott dropped off some stuff I'd ordered from Perry. We, we clubbed together on our orders to save on shipping. So I've got two battalions of Bavarians to finish off the division and, and an ammunition case on and a second artillery limber because I have four guns. So I need more stuff, more wheeled assets to move them around. And then it's going to be moving on to, I'm going to paint Russians and Prussians until I explode. <laughs> okay that sounds messy I'm, I'm, I'm going to start with the cool stuff first I mean in this box there's some Russian Uhlans, uh and my Russians don't have any cavalry so I'm going to do the, do the cavalry do some artillery then move on to infantry and it'll be great and we'll have Borodino hash, we'll have, have hashtag uh, Leipzig 2023 oh that's, that's the hashtag is it Leipzig 2023 that's the hashtag I'm starting Leipzig all right. 2023. Okay. Well, as soon as we wind down, wind this down, you should go on Twitter and uh, announce that. I already have. I did it on my blog. Okay. All right. Who is with me? Who stands with me? Like, That's right. Well, it sounds like we're going to be busy. And I, the next time we get together in February, I am either going to have a uh, piece of resin that I have actually printed, which looks like something uh, human. Or uh, I will just move um, to Kazakhstan under a different name. So that's 
I'm going cool. to beat this technology one or the other. So I guess the final thing we're thinking about is uh, hot lead, and we're looking at uh, the calendar with some fear and trepidation. I know yeah. today there was sadness and weeping in our household because Joy and I were going to go to Toronto in February to hear uh, one of her favorite bands, The War on Drugs. And uh, that, that concert was cancelled. Mm. Um, so many cancelled concerts and plays and everything. Plays, everything. We're a little trepidatious. I'm going ahead and planning a hot lead. Uh, we're going to you know, hope for the best, but mm-hmm plan for a you know reduced you know socially distanced you know we'll have to wear masks and be vaccinated and spread the tables out so right now there's not gonna be any bring them by which has people crying that was a good decision Um, there's no way you could do that safely no no there is we 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 talked about it for days as a group um bashed all kinds of ideas around even thought about you know, running it on a different weekend, but then that would be an extra burden on other people who don't live in town. So we decided let's just not do it. Um, that'd be that'd be safest. We just won't do it this year. Bring it, the bring it by has always been like a rugby scrimmage of. Oh yeah, it, it's it's the people are crowded four deep. It's terrible. Like it's just a massive di- disease. But this this will give us more room to spread the tables out more, spread the vendors out more, and we'll just limit the number of people in a game. You know, so there won't be any, you know, 12 people in silly hats crowded around a game. You know, it'll have to be, you know, six people around a 12 foot table. Which is sad, but sensible. Yeah. Well, and, and if, you know, hey, if, if at the beginning of March things look good and the province just takes all the restrictions off and it's Liberty Hall, um, then I can always add more, you know, cram more tables in put more people in the, into games and, and say, Hey, the bring them by, bring them by is back on boys. Box your stuff up. It's back on the menu, boys. That's right. That's right. Cheap miniatures are back on the menu. What about them? They look old school. That's right. <laughs> from, uh, from your mouth to God's ear, my friend, cause I, uh, I have my hotel room booked and I think I, in a fit of optimism, I may have booked it as a non-refundable thing. So. Ooh. Oh, Ooh, even I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Hopefully, things won't get won't won't really spiral out of control, and we get hit with you know um, restriction on numbers and stuff like that. Yeah. And then we'll have to rethink. But well, our experience in Hamilton uh, in November at Larde showed that a, a a scaled down gaming day can still be fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I need I'll need enough people coming through the door to to pay admission to you know pay for the hall but so and the other thing is going to coordinate uh some virtual games too for people who for people who are either unable to attend or they don't feel safe attending so i thought let's just set up some you know you send me the game i will post it up and say it's a virtual game and when people register for it I will send their contact information to the game master and then he can send out the invites for zoom or discord or Twitch or tickety talk or whatever the hell the young youngins are doing to play their, play their games. You're so, you know, and the timings and stuff. So will it be on the same day? Yeah, that's cool. So it'll be kind of like a, a virtual lard kind of thing, virtual hot lab. 
Well, you know, and, and hey, it'd be really cool if, if um, you know, someone in Australia or Europe wants to jump in and, and host a game. It could work. It would be lovely if it did. So, well, there you have it, my friends. Let's just, uh, I'll keep our fingers crossed and send up prayers and good vibrations and the appropriate sacrifices to the gaming gods. Spill some beer on your dice. All right. Do you think we're done? Ah, uh, yeah. Sounds good. Uh, let's see. Who haven't we for mar- for a march out? Have we done the Royal Canadian Navy? You know what? We haven't done the Royal Canadian Navy. We should just because huh? uh, those guys are everywhere right now. And uh, time for a bit of Heart of Oak. Heart of Oak. All right. Well, this is to our friends in the Royal Canadian Navy and uh, fair winds and following say uh, following seas. Following seas. Yeah. All right. On that maritime note, this is Mike saying goodbye. And James signing off. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, Please do, uh, wherever you find your podcasts, if you could like us, recommend us, uh, tell your friends about us, we'd be very grateful. It's a labor of love. We're not asking for any money. We don't have a Patreon page. We're just two funny granddads in their basements talking. So Support the people we have on the show. Yeah, exactly. Subscribe to MM Magazine. Yeah, subscribe. Do Jason buy something from a favor. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There you go. Okay. Good night and God bless everybody. Take care. Okay. Bye. is recorded on a MacBook using Audacity software. Copyright 2022, Mike Peterson, James Manto. Thanks for listening. Take care.